welcome to the Rise Rooted Podcast. If you're a mom who feels like you've lost yourself along the way, you have landed in the right spot. I'm your host, Katherine Middlebrooks, founder of BRB Yoga and postpartum health expert who has helped thousands of moms rebuild their bodies after baby. Each week, join me and my guests as we explore ways to create health in mind and body so that you can live a life you love. Hey there, everyone. Today, I'm bringing you a conversation with Alexandra Hughes. Alexandra Hughes is a life coach for women who are ready to reshape their lives so they can honor their life calling without sacrificing being present and joyful moms. Alex and I cover quite a bit in this conversation. Really, we run the gamut from talking about patriarchal influences on the way that we feel and the way that we parent uh, and how that shapes our ability to carve out space and time to pursue our own interests to more practical and concrete tips about how exactly you can begin working with your significant other or spouse to better share the load in your household. And really, in this conversation, you'll see that we see sharing the load, the household load, as a way to better step into whatever larger calling you have in your own life. It's only when you carve out space and time for dreaming and creating that you can begin building something that is bigger than you. So we talk about how to do that, why to do that, and all of the forces and factors that may be contributing to why it feels hard to do that. I do want to acknowledge that when Alex and I finished our conversation, we did go into sort of a sidebar conversation about how much of this conversation really requires a certain amount of privilege If you are a single mom, if you are working multiple jobs to cover the rent and pay the bills and buy the food, all of this stuff that we are talking about becomes much, much more difficult. We are very aware of that, and I didn't want it to go unsaid in this conversation. Okay, let's go to the interview. I hope that you enjoy it. Hi, Alex. Thank you for being here. Oh, I love. I'm so excited. I am too. Thanks for I, having me. Oh, I'm excited. I feel like we've had these conversations so frequently offline that I'm excited to bring them to the masses now. <laughs> so I want to dive in. So much of the work that you do gives women the permission that they often desperately need to stop sacrificing themselves for others. And this is such an important topic for all women, all mothers, but especially for those mothers who are wanting or feeling the urge to create something bigger than themselves in their lives. So that's kind of the general topic that I want to explore today. But before we dive into those questions, I want to take a minute and just read the blurb that you sent me. So I'll ask everyone who I interview The same question, how does your work or mission help moms fulfill their bigger purpose in life? I don't often read the answers, but I want to with yours because it sets the stage so well for our conversation. So you said, I help women bring feminism home by teaching them revolutionary ways to optimize their time and energy, to identify and honor their boundaries, and to share the domestic load. I believe and have witnessed and experienced that internalized patriarchal messaging and related stress and overwhelm keep mothers small and holds them back from accessing and honoring their life calling. (laughs) There is so much to unpack in that statement, and I'm excited to do it. (laughs) So I want to start with the last part of it and really that notion of internalized patriarchal messaging. So what is this to you and how do you see it manifesting in the experience of mothers? I think for the most part, most people um, live life unconsciously. And, you know, I like to believe that this is changing over time and that our levels of consciousness as a humanity are increasing. However, 
especially in a society which has been so fast paced, um, it's difficult to take the time to really consciously reflect on what beliefs, unconscious or conscious, are influencing your thoughts, are influencing your actions and your choices, right? And this is especially true, I think, if you um, have been socialized in a certain way. And if, in addition to that, you are just generally overwhelmed, tired, and stressed out. So in my experience as a woman, and in my experience coaching women, and in my experience um, researching all of this, I've come to learn that a lot of the unconscious beliefs that we hold about what we do have been defined thousands of years before us in that definition of what it is to be a good woman, a good wife, um, and a good mother, and a good and, and and a part of that is like to be, you know, a good housekeeper, mm-hmm. and that. Even though today, many of us, because we are driven to or because we have to, are breadwinners in our families. So we work for pay. I'm not because we're paid to work because I think all mothers work. Just some of us are not paid and some of us are paid, right? But we're paid to work. (laughs) In, In addition to kind of taking on the value associated with the paid labor that a patriarchal system celebrates, encourages. Um, We also subconsciously tell ourselves that, you know, in order to be worthy, we must also manage the home, take care of the people around us, and that a good mother And a good wife is somebody who, and I'm talking about heterosexual relationships, mostly because I just, you know, disclaimer here, because I I don't have very much experience in a a relationship between a woman and a woman. But what I've seen is that there is definitely a gendered dynamic to this. Mm -hmm. So I'm talking largely about heterosexual relationships. Um, What I've seen is that this idea of putting others before us, this idea of selflessness, which is such a harsh term, is actually what defines you being worthy and that we really have lost our capacity uh, to kind of connect with an inner wisdom because we're so busy trying to be that worthy everything to everyone and putting everything else first in addition to in some cases the paid work that we do so that's a very long-winded answer to your question no but thank you i i think that notion i've never really put that together that we are encouraged selflessness is something that is very much seen as a value you're you're doing good if you are giving of yourself to you know giving everything to your children i never equated that with worth and if you do that that's like so messed up right because then it's like the less of yourself you have the more value you valuable you are and how could that ever actually work that way <laughs> it doesn't work that way you know it doesn't work for women but it's worked really well for a patriarchal capitalist society because it guarantees unpaid domestic labor and it guarantees that those laborers never question the work that they're doing. Right. Right. Because um, they, it's what guarantees their, their worth in society. And if we go back historically and you believe in, generational trauma, you know, trauma that is, you know, with all the epigenetic studies now, they're starting to learn that trauma is passed down from generation to generation. So if we believe that we carry the traumas of our female ancestors, we may be fearful of losing something that 
today, we won't lose, but thousands of years ago, we would have lost and would have put us out on the street. So if we started to question the system in the Middle Ages, um, when, you know, during, let's say, pagan systems that actually revered female deities or more of a feminine energy and um, and kind of a more patriarchal Christi Christianity was sort of, you know, colonizing all of that with the Inquisition and then subsequent witch, witch hunts and stuff like that. Like if we go back to that time, then if you actually spoke out and if you actually questioned, you know, this order where the patriarch the head of the household was male and you were subservient to that by religious law, mm -hmm. then you could have been, well, at the very least outcast socially, but possibly out on the street with your children, possibly burned at the stake. So, I mean, if we believe that the trauma is passed down, then it can be very frightening for you to just say, you know, this isn't working for me. You know, it's 2020. This isn't working for me. We need to change the way labor is divided. That can feel frightening. And I can say, you know, after years of therapy that I felt scared at one point. And I said to my therapist, she said, why are you scared to tell your husband things aren't working for you? And I said, you want to know the craziest thing is I'm scared of being out on the street. Yeah. And she said, that's ridiculous. And so where does that come from? I don't know. I think that the notion of owning your needs and wants, I think especially wants, right? Like, yeah. Um, I find that too, even in my relationship with my husband, the when I begin to phrase, oh, this is something I want from you, it is like a very fearful conversation, always. Often I end up crying and he's usually confused by it. I'm usually confused by it too. And I think it's because it is at the same time you're expressing like, oh, I have this deep held need or want. And as it's coming out of my mouth, I'm also like picturing rejection in every form possible coming at me. And it feels terrifying, even though the context and our, my relationship has shown me over and over again that it's safe to express those but I think your point to the fact that we have we have grown up with, we have ancestral history of that not being okay or allowed. And and we bear kind of the emotional uh, effects of that history is very important. The other thing to think about, too, though, is that we also benefit in certain ways from it, too. And I think that that, right, like, again, not in many ways, but... In my house, I am never the one to plunge the toilet. When mm -hmm. my husband had a vasectomy, it was the first time and last time I ever mowed our lawn. Like those are things that I gladly accept our traditional gender roles with and don't don't push for equality on that. So that's an interesting thing that just popped to mind as well. And kind of how do you find that balance between what you need and want while also accepting that that what comes with that is going to be other responsibilities that you don't currently have. Do you have thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, the, the two things that come up for me is that some women might love mowing the lawn. They might. <laughs> I don't know who you are. I am not one of those people. <laughs> yeah, I'm not one of those people either, but who knows? You know, I mean, maybe there are some, there are some sort of traditional um, male responsibilities that some woman would love taking on and that, and some female, traditional female or feminine responsibilities that some men would love taking on. Um, I think the, 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 the issue with the patriarchy and is that it's defined what it is to be a good man, just as it's defined what it is to be a good woman and that this has limited us not to be a full and complete expression of ourselves, whether you're, man, you're a man or whether you're a woman. I mean, men have suffered in kind of what you're alluding to in that they traditionally have carried a hell of a lot of responsibility, you know, economically, and 
should, you know, should they have failed to be the providers and the strong, you know, emotionless leaders, then they're called, you know, pussies or (laughs) beefies or failures, right? Mm -hmm. And if, and just as, you know, women have been limited in, in their roles, that if you're not happy and selfless taking care of your family and having a beautiful, creating a beautiful home, then you're also a failure. So I think the point is, is that it hasn't allowed for a full and complete expression, irrespective of um, sex and gender. We're all at dis- a disadvantage because of this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, but it's, it's, so it's, so it's imbalanced because the other thing is that in addition to it kind of confining individuals to our, to, to, to these very specific roles, it's also overvalued certain, I want to say energies, but that's not the right word. Um, things for example, let me give you examples and then it will all make sense. For instance, um, productivity, efficiency, outputs, results, doing, you know, capital, right? Um, all of those things, which are very kind of male energy ish, right? right? The, the masculine. masculine, the masculine has been overvalued to all the feminine stuff, the process, the intuition, the, um, Caring, the being, the resting, the reflecting, the arts, the cultural side of things, like all of that has been given less value and our society is a reflection of that. And so, and, and the way we talk to ourselves is a reflection of that too. So you probably, if you make more than your husband, you probably feel pretty damn good about that. I'd probably feel pretty damn good about that. But, you know, if, 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 if you're at home and you don't even manage to have a shower because you have a toddler and a newborn, then you're probably like, I'm a complete failure. I didn't even manage to get a shower. Like, what did I do today? But what you did do was actually, you know, raise two new human beings who were going to be the next generation. You fed them, you clothed them, you, you know, possibly entertain them, you know, and all of none of that, that's all invisible. And, but I will also say, so my experience is slightly unique, I guess, in that I, ever since I met my husband, I have been the primary breadwinner. And, and then since we moved into the RV and started traveling at that point, my husband left his job and started building his own business. So it's basically since 2017, I've been the sole breadwinner as he's been building that up. So as someone who is the primary and sole breadwinner in our family, I still feel all the pressures of the female demands. I definitely feel like it's my job to buy the birthday presents, schedule all the dentist appointments, do all of those invisible tasks. And I think that comes back to this point that this is so unconscious that even when we start to break out of those roles in reality, it's still a part of our our programming. Yes. How does this manifest in women? Like what is the experience that women end up having because of this? Is it that they're feeling like they're not doing enough, they're worn out. Like, how do you see it coming up? Yeah, it's both of those things and and more and more. But I want to go back to something that I think is really important and that stayed with me from an interview that I heard um, between Sarah Jenks and another woman whose name I should remember and who I don't. Um, And it's that um, our partner, just the way we've been socialized, let's just call it over-functioning. I don't know if that is the correct term, but let's just call it over-functioning because let's face it, that's kind of what it is. Which means like we're just doing it all? Like we're just... Yeah, I think just like overworking everything, right? Like birthday gifts, dentist appointments, you know, um, you know the school pickup times, you know the school drop-offs times, you know what the menu is, you know what the allergies are, you know who likes what. But that kind of cognitive load that you hold. Right. All of that. So we're, we have internalized this idea that if we don't, you know, 
you you make the money, Catherine, and you know all these things and you do all these things. And if you don't do all of them, you feel bad about yourself. Meanwhile, our partners have been raised that as long as they sort of provide and let's say they set the table and they do some laundry, they're patting themselves on the back. Yeah. So the internal dialogue is autumn is kind of already sets us up for a very imbalanced situation. Oh, for sure. In my marriage, this is so funny. My uh, when my daughter was born, my husband is a very active father and his he has three living grandparents still. And they his grandfather referred to him as a motherly father. Because he was just doing the fathering. Like, he was just being an (laughs) active parent. So, yes, of course, it's, like, internalized and it's coming from these outside influential sources as well of, like, oh, you're doing more than you should be doing or need to be doing. Yeah. And relating it to mothering at the same exact time. That, like, statement is so, it's so rich. It is so rich that he would use that word. Um, but there was a question you asked on the back of that that I've already forgotten. How it manifests in mothers? Yeah. What I've seen is that what ends up happening inside of us is that we strive to do it all. That's superwoman syndrome. And um, we. the consequence is overwhelm, stress, an addiction to being busy. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of the time, actually, all of these things, this addiction to being busy, the overwhelm, the stress, all of this contributes to a disconnect. I mean, there just isn't any space inside of you to connect with, maybe you can connect with your basic needs, but it's very unlikely that you'll be able to connect with your wants like you talk about. And even if you do, it could feel very selfish to connect with your with your wants, let alone, let's go even a step further, your dreams. Yeah. Right. Right. Like, what are your dreams? A few years ago, I realized, oh, my God, I'm living my husband's dream. You know, what's mine? Right. And I had to take some time to think about that. And then I had to take And then I had to gather the courage to have a conversation about that. And then I had to have the conversation. And that took all of that took months. My husband sitting there is like, oh, after, you know, me months of doing all this internal work, processing my patriarchy stress disorder. And he's like, oh, yeah, sure. You're totally right. Okay, cool. (laughs) They don't they don't know, because here's the thing. Have you read Dr. Valerie Ryan's book, Patriarchy Stress Disorder? No. Okay, you have to read it. Everybody that's listening to this has to read this. All right. Um, She talks about this concept that that she's trademarked called patriarchy stress disorder. And when I read this book, it was like, you know, this like a drop of light just coming down and like creating an aura around me like, oh my God, life makes sense. She believes that all women have been are traumatized. And she defines trauma as having been criticized or made uncomfortable for not being able to be a full expression of yourself. Mm. If that, So if that is the true definition of trauma, then that means everybody on the planet has, is basically traumatized. But be, women have especially been traumatized by the patriarchy to adhere to what we've already talked about, you know, this certain kind of way of being. And that trauma actually lives inside of your body and manifests as fear. So why did it take me however many months to have that conversation with my husband? Why did I need to plan it out? Why did I need to build up the courage? Because there was something inside me that was scared. And that, and so the fear and the trauma that so many of us live with is masked and pushed down by the overwhelm and the stress and the busyness we don't need to deal with that shit if we're too busy. Yeah. And there's also the point that when you are so busy, as you said, you can't connect to your dreams. So it's like you're asking – you're not going and saying, hey, there's this thing that I want to do. And it's real clear and tangible. And I can explain it to my partner as like, this is what I want to do. It's it's almost like you're, you're like Virginia Woolfing it and saying like, I need – a room of my own <laughs> to 
have the space to even begin to connect with what that even could be that I'm interested in pursuing or looking into or building, right? Like we need that space and quiet first in order to have any idea of what it is that we would even pursue. Exactly. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. And so that's a lot harder to ask for because it's so intangible and it doesn't have the outcome, right? We're just talking about like how outcomes are so much more valued, but you can never get to an outcome if that's what you want to get to without first creating the space to kind of dream and live in possibility. And connect. Mm -hmm. Right. Because that, because the, the dream um, comes from inside of you somewhere. Yeah. Have you read Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert? No, not yet. Oh, you should read that. That one's so good because it's all about creativity and the way she talks about it. And I love this concept of it is like creativity is not within you. It's like floating in the air, right? And it will land with a person. And if, if that person decides to like take up the notion, it will stay and it can grow and all of that. But if that person is too distracted or not interested, that idea or spark or whatever it is will move on to a more receptive vessel. Yeah. And yeah. I think that for women this is and mothers, this is so important because I do believe that the process of becoming pregnant and giving life, it sparks that sort of creative center in our body. And I think that a lot of women are urged into action if one way or another through the process of having babies. But very often then, because of all this messaging we get, we will then say, oh, yeah, there's this thing I'm interested in. Oh, I might want to do that. But I'm going to wait until the kids are older so that I have more time to pursue it. And if you you think about that in terms of the way Elizabeth Gilbert talks about it, it's like that idea could move on to another person. If you don't spend a little time nurturing it and letting it grow, whatever it is. If you have that spark, you want to just give it some love. Let it grow a little bit. I feel like that's very nebulous, but like I really believe for me, that was such a powerful part of like giving birth and having my children was like, oh, I can create, I can create life. I can create all these other things, but then I had no time to do it. And so it's like, that's part of why this podcast exists because I had to figure out how to give myself that space and capacity and we all need to figure out how we can do that for ourselves. That's so, it's so beautiful that this podcast exists. <laughs> I mean, it's so beautiful that you gave yourself the time to make it happen. And it's so revolutionary, actually. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, because, I mean, you're in the U.S. Think about it. Think about maternity leave policy. You know, there is nothing supporting, nothing supporting mothers to have that space. Unless you're in a very privileged situation, you're not going to have that space. But let's remember also that, you know, it takes a village, mm -hmm. right? And the system that we live in, we're isolated in nuclear families where, you know, it's the woman who takes care of everything. One person takes care of what an entire village is meant to take care of. It's crazy. So how are we meant to carve that space out? But that is such, the, the space and the receptivity that it offers is is magic, you know? It, that is where the magic is. Absolutely. So can we get a little bit more concrete then? Because I, I you talk a lot about sharing the domestic load as one key tool to give women that space. And I love how you refer to that as a revolutionary act because I agree that it is for all of the reasons we've just talked about. The the more you can create some equality in what's happening in the house, the more space you give to yourself to again create whatever it is that you want to create. So, how does one begin that conversation? How does one begin that process of of beginning to share the load a little bit more? equally with their partner? There are two kind of first steps that, that can happen si simultaneously or not. 
But one would be to really take stock of what your needs are and what is being met, what's being met maybe a little bit and what's not being met at all. So that would be a really valuable exercise for any mothers listening. Um, just, you know, think about what do you need? And maybe you even want to do like, I'd settle for this. You know, this is kind of option A, I'd settle for this. And then option B is like, yeah, this feels good. And option C is like, this is really full and complete need fulfillment, right? Like a walk every single day, three yoga classes a week, um, a room that's mine, you know, with an easel in it and a yoga mat. Um, you know, like, like you can start with, I don't know, depending on where you're at, you can start with like 10 minutes showering by myself. <laughs> and then you could have like your third kind of column being what I already just described, right? Depending on where you're at. But um, get clear on what your needs are and what is not being met. And then the second exercise is really taking stock of everything it takes to make a house and family run smoothly. And the definition of smoothly may vary. And so that's really important because <laughs> my definition of a, of, of a smoothly running home is very different from my husband's. But I think it's important <laughs> that you get very clear or one gets very clear on what it takes and to write it down because part of this exercise, part of this practice, part of this movement or revolutionary act is to make the invisible visible, mm -hmm. right? So write it down. Here's a big one for me, conflict monitoring. How much time do I spend kind of monitoring conflict or mediating conflict or teaching emotional intelligence to my children? All completely invisible, exhausting, very valuable labor, right? Mm -hmm. um, write it down. If, it, if you have got a little one, breastfeeding, write it down. How many hours do you spend <laughs> breast, like craziness? And have your partner write down everything that they do. Have a look at it and try hold whatever resentment and judgment aside, but look at it and think about how does this make me feel? Like when I did this, my husband's was less than a page and mine was like, four and a half pages long, my list, right? And he's the main breadwinner, so that counts for something. It did not feel good to me. And what especially didn't feel good to me, and this is really important, is the cognitive load pieces in that list. Because what I wanted was a clearer mind. And this is really important because we don't want to go into that space of receptivity with our mind being so super cluttered that it can't receive any of this magic floating creative energy because it's just too busy you're, that your entire meditation is used to just clear your mind. Remember this. Remember that. Oh, you've got to do that too. Yeah, like totally. We all know that that cycle you can get on if you when you are managing and trying to remember all the things. Yeah. That space doesn't need to be about keeping sane. The space needs to be about receptivity and creation, right? Um, and it will take a while to get there. It's not going to happen overnight. But my, I guess my point is, is that like when we do this list, and this is a work in progress in my house, but it's important for us not to think, okay, I will hold my role as manager. His role is assistant. I tell him what to do. He does it. Because then the cognitive load stays with, with you. you. Yeah. Right? So, so I think that's a really important thing to look at. And then the third step, once you've done that. So, again, the work starts with you. Um, and, then the, and then the conversation begins. And so there's really – this is really hard because a lot of the time we step into these conversations with a lot of baggage mm -hmm. after having – gotten into so many fights and after having 
repeated requests in angry tones with nasty words so many times so that there's already a trauma dynamic or a pattern dynamic where somebody, you know, becomes defensive just when you say the word honey. Can we talk? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We need to have a conversation. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. What needs to happen is, first of all, a space needs to be created for this, like a container needs to be created for this. And it needs to be, you know, I want to have a conversation and bone, one has to show up with their heart open and vulnerable and like, you, like you've experienced, ready to cry because this is how it goes. You know, I am feeling whatever, overwhelmed, exhausted, frustrated, unhappy, discontent, unsatisfied, annoyed, resentful, whatever all the feelings are, and and maybe you want to hold back on some of them, Um, but you know, or maybe not, maybe not. See what I did there? Mm -hmm. That was Patrick's stress disorder. Maybe you don't want to hold back, but you want to say, you know, how you're feeling without blaming that other person. You are taking responsibility for it. And you say, because some of my needs aren't being met. This is this doesn't have to do with you. This is me trying to be responsible for where I'm at and me communicating that honestly and from the heart and saying, and you want to know what else? I'm really scared to talk about this stuff because it makes me feel like a failure because my, you know, my mother said, don't be a troublemaker. Don't ruffle anybody's feathers keep smiling, be happy. And right now I'm not doing that, but I really want to be happy. And I know you want me to be happy. So can we talk about these four and a half pages that I do and the half page that you do? And maybe you don't want to talk about it right now. Maybe you want to go away with the pages and have a think, but really come at it from a place of vulnerability going down into how it makes you feel to even have that conversation, explaining like, this is what's going on in my head right now as I'm talking to you. I'm actually terrified. And because the assumption has to be that the person we're talking to wants us to be happy, wants us to fulfill our dreams and loves us. And if you if those don't feel true to you, then you need to do some major reflection. But assuming all of that is true for you in your relationship, then it's a safe space for you to go in there and cry like a crazy woman and say what your needs are and that you want for things to shift. And, and then you take it from there. Does that what comes up for you? Because this is all like work in progress for me. Oh, no, I think it's very powerful. I'm going to just summarize parts of it just to frame it all together. And then I'm going to add a piece to it, too, that I think can be helpful. And this is something that I talk about frequently. But so basically, you know, you're saying make the I love the idea of making the invisible visible. So really getting clear yourself on what you want and need to feel good in your life, those little Mm -hmm. self-care things that you can add in that you're not making the time for being really clear on what tasks you are doing around your house for the children, for your husband, for, you know, everyone getting that all down on paper. Again, making the invisible visible. Ask your husband or partner to do the same thing so that everybody has their list of what they're responsible for. And then setting a sacred space, a time where this is a conversation where you're not doing it in the middle of the kitchen while you're cooking dinner. You're really sitting down to have an honest, vulnerable conversation coming into it with the trust that you're both working toward the same goals, really. Mm -hmm. And the piece that I wanted to add that I think is very powerful, this is something that my husband and I do, I'm going to have an episode about this. We, every so often, we don't do it very frequently, but we do it every couple of years, we sit down and separately create a vision for our lives, and then we come together and we talk about those visions. This is what I would like to be doing in the next five years. And this is what he would like to be doing in the next five years. And how do those come together? How do do they diverge? And that frame, I find, is extremely powerful 
for many reasons. One, it helps you make your own decisions in your life. But it also, when you have at least a common understanding of where you both are going, then when you have a conversation like this, you can say, oh, well, you know how I was saying in five years, I want to have a graduate degree in this or, you know, be certified in, you know, whatever it is that your thing is. And you say, well, look at my list. I don't have any time to start pursuing that right now. How can we shift this so that I can just have a little bit of time to start working on that? Or how about you say, how can we shift this so I can have a lot of time? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, we're starting with baby steps. I mean, also recognizing <laughs> you have children, you have demands, all of that. But I, but I do think that when you communicate about the bigger vision, it almost becomes easier to have those conversations because you're both in agreement on where you're going. And so then it's like, well, now how are we going to navigate this to get there, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. And because then it becomes, it's not an either or thing. And there are dreams involved and they see you as the, as the creator of a dream or a dream maker or a dream haver. And I think it's really important that we step in to those dream having, dream creating positions and communicate from that place. I love, I love that you do that. I do too. It, it has been really helpful, but I think I could also be having more of the other conversation. Now I need to take it down more granular because that's where it can easily break down. Well, yes, but it's so, it's really interesting because here we are again, strategizing, you know, how do we have an effective conversation like this so that we can create that space to, to receive, you know, that receptivity um, so that then we can make our dreams happen. And if you look at this from a man's perspective, take my husband <laughs> example, he just, you know, he just works really hard. He's a self-made man, gets his PhD and lives his dream. Like he doesn't have to worry about having conversations with me about it. He doesn't have to worry about sharing his vision board with me. He doesn't, like, these, this doesn't enter into his landscape because it's never been a struggle. But you know what? I mean, yes, I totally agree with that to a certain extent. But also, I find when I talk to my male friends about these life summits that we call them, they get excited about that idea too because they tend to be living a path that, yes, they chose at some point, but they may not be continuously, like actively, consciously choosing. And so to sit down and say, for your husband to say, like, what else do I want yeah. five years from now? That could be very powerful for him and for you collectively. Yes, yes. And also because his definition fits so nicely into what a good provider is that maybe, you know, the concept of just dropping it all and taking a sabbatical or to become an artist or something um, is just too far off the beaten path. So it's an invitation. Right. Right. For yeah. them to really reflect on what is really possible outside the realms that have confined me subconsciously. Absolutely. That's so good. And I think the other point that I just want to reiterate from what you're saying is the power of the ask. I think that um, I do this often with women in my program, right? I have them like literally in, in when they go into my Healer Core program, they have to be doing yoga like five days a week. And so I literally at the beginning say, I need you to make a schedule <laughs> because if you don't make a schedule, it's not going to happen. And then I encourage you to talk to your partner about your schedule and ask them for help if you need it, right? Like if you're going to be doing the yoga at 6 a.m. and your baby wakes up, they know on Tuesdays and Thursdays they're on kid duty. You just need to ask, right? And so often just the simple ask of asking gets them what they need and want. Yeah. Yeah. And, and why is that so hard? Because of the patriarchy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause it lives inside of us. Cause we're not supposed to have needs and wants. And we're supposed to take care of them so they don't have to worry about this unimportant stuff because they have bigger, more important things to worry about. It's so 1950s. It drives me mental. It is crazy. Okay, last question, because I want to be conscious of time. But if you were sitting in front of a mom 
who's in the thick of it, right? Maybe she has two or three little kids. She's just barely scraping by and feels like really battered at the end of the day. What one suggestion would you make for her? What one thing could she do to change her daily experience for the better? She needs to do whatever she can do to carve out that space and time for herself. And that do can look like the ask. It can look like revisiting her budget and deciding they're not going to go on pizza nights. Instead, they're going to hire a babysitter for two hours a week. It can look like getting um, a family member or a neighbor's teenager to come over for a few hours or to do a swap, a kid swap with somebody else so she gets a few hours. You know, I mean, we can think out of the box here. It can look like putting your three little kids in front of the screen and shutting yourself in a room. Because when you come out of the closet or the bathroom or wherever, (laughs) you're going to be a better mom. And if you don't go in there, you could get sick. You could, you know, become depressed. Fly off the handle. Angry. You could fly. Exactly. You could lose your shit. You could, you know, and then that, and then that causes a worse, worser situation. If you are with a partner, then um, there are ways that you can carve out this space and time for yourself. Like, I'm just not going to buy, I'm not going to buy that you cannot get 15, 20 minutes a day to yourself if you are with somebody, even if your partner works full time and you're the, you know, unpaid stay at home parent. um, That doesn't mean that you work 24 seven and they work nine to five or nine to six or nine to seven or nine to eight. It means that you know, you divide, your job is a job and you have time off. Right. Vacation time, please. Yeah. When we had really little ones, like when Wes was a baby and Nora was two and a half, my husband was working full time and I was home working on the business and we just split up mornings all throughout the week. So yes, I had to wake up very early, which was very hard when I had a little baby that was also waking up in the night. But I could take from 5.30 to 7 on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and he got 5.30 to 7 on Tuesday, Thursday, and whatever day. <laughs> I can't keep track of the days, but you get my gist. And <laughs> just the weight off your shoulders knowing that, you know, on Monday, if I want to do yoga or get some work done or I can and the baby wakes up, I don't have to do anything. Or if I want to sleep in, I can, right? Like I can choose how to use that time. Just the ability of choice over time feels so empowering in that moment where you feel like you have none of it. So even it doesn't have to be an hour and a half. It could be 30 minutes, 15 minutes, as you're saying, to give you time that is your own is so powerful. I agree with that 100%. Yeah. And if you're listening to this, and if you know somebody's listening to this and they can find their some they 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 hear themselves saying it's not possible like y- you women don't know what you're talking about it's just not possible you don't know what my life is like then i want you to think about how the patriarchy lives inside of you like what messages are you telling yourself like why aren't you giving yourself permission to do that is it because You know, things have to be just so at home. Maybe there's a certain need to control things or for things to be a perfect way. Where can you drop the ball? Where can you let things go? Where can you hand stuff over? Is it because you don't think it's fair to have that conversation with your husband because he gets home and he's just so very tired? You know, that's the patriarchy inside of you too. Aren't you fucking exhausted at the end of the day? You probably are, right? Right. So maybe it's okay for him to be tired on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and you to be tired on Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday. If you do find yourself saying to yourself, and I've worked with so many women who have said this, you know, but it's not possible, Alex. It's not possible. I'm challenging you (laughs) to figure out why are you saying that to yourself? What is it that you believe about what you should be doing? as a mother, woman, wife, that is stopping you from making it possible? I love that question. And what will happen if you do it? Like, just try it. Try it on. Yeah. What will happen with you? Yeah. And maybe some of us are scared of what will happen if we do it. Because that's sometimes scary, too. No, I think that that's very true. Women who make cool stuff and say, speak their mind, typically are not always received very well. And so... Mm -hmm. 
giving yourself space to really do whatever it is. I always like I can never really name anything because there's so many possible things that you can do with your potential. But yeah, it definitely also can be nerve wracking to think about starting something new or diving into something else, because what will the reaction be? You don't know. Mm -hmm. You can't control the reaction. You can only control your part in the creation of it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you're honoring yourself above anything else. And that when you do that, you know, you're honoring yourself, you're listening to yourself and you're honoring yourself above anything else. And that is very countercultural and counter everything that we've been educated to do and be right. We could talk for a very long time. Girl, we could talk for a really long time. <laughs> I know. We'll have to do this again with another juicy topic like this. Let everybody know where they can find you and where they can follow you. So I'm in the middle of a transition. And so I'm not going to give my website because I think I'm going to change my domain name. But the safest place is to find me on Instagram. Alex underscore in essence is where you can find me and my thoughts on all of this. Well, thank you so much, Alex. I really appreciate your thinking on this and your leadership on these topics. So thank you for coming to talk to me about it. Well, thank you for creating this magical space. It's been such a pleasure. I'm so excited for you and your podcast. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of Rise Rooted. You can find all the links mentioned in today's show at our website, brbyoga.com, as in be right back. And if you're looking for support to heal your post-baby body, please head to our website. There you'll find our courses for core, pelvic floor, and hip health, as well as free masterclasses and blog posts designed to teach you how to feel your best in your post-baby body. And yes, that even applies to you if you had your baby 30 years ago. If you enjoyed today's show, please consider subscribing and leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or posting a screenshot of today's episode to Instagram. Doing so makes my day and helps other moms find the show. Thanks so much for being here. Till next time.